0: Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today, we continue to answer a very important question, the question of who is God according to what the Bible teaches about God. And today, in particular, we will be spending our third time together talking about God the Son. Remember that the Bible shares a somewhat complex truth about who God is, that God is three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but not three gods, just one God. God the Father is not God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is not God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father or God the Son. They are each their own person. Three persons, but not three gods, just one God. And God the Father is fully 100% God. God the Son is fully 100% God. And God the Holy Spirit is fully 100% God. As I'm saying this, it's making my head spin a little bit. More than a little bit. But that's okay because it's a great reminder of what kind of God we have. A God that's bigger than my little brain, God who can understand and do things that I cannot understand and that I cannot do. Exactly the type of God that we would like to have. As we continue to talk about God the Son today, I'd like to tell you a story. It's a true story about a funeral over which I presided as a pastor many years ago. If you've been to a funeral, as I'm sure you have, then you know that before the funeral service, there's often a visitation where they will often put the casket of the deceased person up front at the front of church with the casket open so that people can come and pay their final respects. People file into the church very politely and they greet the family who is typically there by the casket and after they greet the family, then they will go up to the casket and and say goodbye in a way that's very meaningful for them. I was presiding over one particular funeral service as I was watching all of this happen just from the side of the church and people were filing by, saying hello to the family, and then going up to the casket.
1: When one young lady came up to the casket, she was very sad. She was crying. She was a niece of the deceased person, I believe. And she started crying a little bit harder when she saw him. And then a lot harder. And then she started shouting at her uncle. Yelling at him to wake up. To get up. To open his eyes. To do something to show that he was alive. To give some kind of indication that he hadn't really died but he had died. And so no matter how much she screamed, no matter how loudly she shouted, no matter how much she sobbed, he didn't get up. And we've all been there, or we will be there. Those reminders that death is a very powerful thing. It's more powerful than all of us. But Jesus is more powerful even than death. And that's what we'll talk about today.
0: Why it's such a wonderful thing that Jesus is victorious in all the ways that we need him to be for us. Let's review where we ended last time in our second lesson about God the Son. We looked at the six stages, six steps of Jesus' humiliation, him willingly lowering himself and humbling himself, not making full use of his divine power or glory so that he could get to the point where he offered his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. But that wasn't the ending for Jesus. Today, we look at how Jesus was victorious, victorious for us, and also victorious along with us. We mentioned last time that those six steps of Jesus' humiliation, they are found in the historic Christian creeds, that they were The truths were taken from the Bible and they were placed into these creeds or confessions that Christians throughout time have been confessing as a statement of what it is that Christians throughout time believe in. That we believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and buried. And that's not the end of the creeds. It goes on after those six steps of Jesus' humiliation, kind of notching him a step down every every step of the way give us the five steps of Jesus' exaltation, where he's making his way back up to show him victorious over everything. And so those five steps are, that after he was buried, he descended into hell, he rose from the dead on the third day, he ascended into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and then he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And those are the five steps that we're gonna look at today. The five steps of what is called Jesus' exaltation. That shows what a glorious thing it is that, Jesus is our victorious savior, the son of God who is victorious for us and victorious right along with us. Let's go to the first step. After the last step of Jesus' humiliation, where Jesus was buried, right after that it says that Jesus descended into hell. which sounds like a bad thing. sounds like that's the moment that Jesus was being punished for sins, but it wasn't. The moment that Jesus was being punished for sins when he was experiencing hell as someone who deserved hell, even though he didn't, but he took, that, he took that for us. That was when he was hanging on the cross, still very much alive and he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To forsake means to abandon, to ignore. And that was hell. Hell is existing in a place where God is not and where you will not receive God's love or his care. And Jesus was experiencing hell then on the cross while he was still alive. But after he was buried, it says, the Bible tells us that he descended into hell. There's only one Bible passage that talks about his descent into hell. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, where it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the spirit. After being made alive, so he's made alive now, after he died, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. That's the Bible passage that's used to include that little phrase in the creeds, that he descended into hell. And the way it's in English describes it well, that he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to proclaim something, to announce something, and it was to announce his victory. Just imagine how Jesus' death looked from Satan's perspective. He'd been using his entire existence to defeat God, to make sure that God would die, in some type of way, or that his influence would die in our lives. And so he sees the Son of God on the cross, dead, taken down, buried, possibly thinking, I just won. I did a good thing. The Son of God is dead. He's not coming back. Imagine he's in hell and celebrating, and there's a, there's a big party going on, even though they're in agony as they're celebrating, but they're feeling good about defeating, having defeated the Son of God, or the Son of God being defeated and, and being dead, when suddenly there's a knock on the door, and they go to open the door, and... There is Jesus who is no longer dead. And what do you think Jesus would have said to them in that moment? <laughs> Any number of possible things. And we don't know exactly
1: how that moment went, but he certainly had the right to say something along the lines of Satan, you lost. And I won. I was dead. But look, I'm alive. That was the beginning of Jesus' victory parade in a sense. When when a sports
0: team wins a championship, they, um, they often have a victory parade um, through, the, through the streets of their downtown and everybody's cheering them on. And that's what it meant that Jesus made proclamation over the imprisoned spirits. He proclaimed his victory and he celebrated it and he's been celebrating ever since. He descended into hell. That's a good thing. It was announcing the first announcement of Jesus' victory over death. Then it goes on to say that on the third day, he rose again from the dead. So he descended into hell and then he rose from the dead. So this is Easter morning when people go to the grave and Jesus' is, his body is not there and Jesus begins appearing to different people. And the Bible tells us the significance of Jesus rising from the dead in a couple of different ways. One of the major chapters in the Bible that talks about it is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a very lengthy chapter. It's known as the great resurrection chapter because the apostle Paul, who is writing that, writing those words inspired by God, he writes a great deal about the significance of Jesus' resurrection. In verse 17 of that chapter he says, it says if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. In other words, after Jesus died and paid the cost of our sins, he still needed to rise from the dead to show himself as somebody whose sacrifice had been approved by God the Father, as someone who was really able to do what he said, and because he did rise from the dead, it means the sacrifice is complete, it means your sins really are forgiven. They are no longer attached to you in any kind of way from God's perspective. All because of Jesus' resurrection. Go a couple of verses later in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For just as in Adam all die, we inherit sin from all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, it says, who calls the first fruit, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. In other words, another way of saying that is that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he was just
1: the first one we also will rise from the dead. Our bodies will die, unless Jesus comes back first, but, but our bodies will die.
0: But that's not the end of our life. It's really the beginning of the very best part.
1: Death is not the end of the story of the Christian. It's the beginning of our greatest living. And you have the right to look at death like that the next time you look at a casket.
0: The next time a loved one dies, the next time you look in the mirror and see somebody who's on their way to dying. Death isn't the end. It's the very beginning, the best beginning of all. So he descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. The next step up is he ascended into heaven. Jesus was on earth for, uh, for a number of days before he ascended back into heaven. He returned in front of heaven. And Jesus, before he died, told his disciples what he was going to do after he ascended into heaven. In John chapter 14, this is on Monday, Thursday, so the night that Jesus is eventually betrayed, Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. And he's talking about, he's talking about our new existence in eternity. In my father's house are many rooms. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there and prepare a place to you, I'll prepare a place for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna come and take you to be with me so that you also can be where I am. So he's going there to prepare a place for you in a place that you could not prepare for yourself. There was a television show they used to be on that my family and I would enjoy watching called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. A group of people would, they would discover families or individuals who had really hard living situations, people whose whose houses were sometimes literally making them sick or people whose medical bills or other bills were so, were so high that their houses had been in disrepair for such a long time. And it was now a dangerous thing to live in their homes And this group of people would find out about the situations, the hard situations of these families or individuals, and and they would come in and surprise them. They would send them, uh, they would say, hey, we're gonna send you away for a week's vacation in an exotic location, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And by the time you come back, we will have destroyed your old house
1: and built you a brand new one that perfectly fits all all that you need, that meets all of your needs
0: and at no cost to you. And that is what Jesus promised his disciples and promised you and me that he would be doing after he ascended into heaven, preparing a place for you that you can never provide for yourself. One that's perfect in every way where there's no more death or crying or sin or pain. The Significance that Jesus ascended into heaven where the creed goes on, where he sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Ephesians chapter one helps us out when it says that when he raised Christ, when God raised Christ from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So sitting at the right hand is like a position of power, a position of authority. And from that position of authority, as Jesus, the son of God was there, it says that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him as, as the head over everything for the benefit of his church. And so from that place that he's where he's seated at the right hand of God, he's not just sitting there lounging, sipping on a lemonade or just kicking back and enjoying retirement as the savior of the world. He's very active, very active in ruling over everything that happens in all of creation for the benefit of the church. It's kind of like kind of like when a parent is teaching a child how to play chess. Very often, if this is happening for the first time, the parent will want the child to have a very pleasant experience with chess. And so they will want them to eventually win. They're teaching them the rules, you know, they're guiding them and teaching them, you know, it's like you have to move this way and you have to move that way. And if they move the wrong way and move a piece in a place that's not supposed to go, they teach them and they guide them along the way. And at the same time, they're moving their own pieces and, you know, and in line with how the game operates. But if they want the child to have a very pleasant experience, the parent who has full control over the board, who has much greater control over what's going on with all the different pieces, will move the pieces in such a way that the child in the end will win. And that in a sense is what Jesus is doing, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He's overseeing all things that happen on earth, even our mistakes, even the mistakes of others working through all of it in ways that only God knows to make sure that in the end, you and I
1: and his entire church, we still, we still win. That means that nothing's going to get the best of you. The things about life that are really hard and that really hurt, they're not going to get the best of you
0: because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he's doing something else there besides just overseeing everything. In 1 John chapter 2, it reminds us that it says, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. So seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in full view of God the Father. Jesus is serving as our advocate and an advocate is somebody who speaks in somebody else's defense, kind of like a defense lawyer. Uh, even when we do sin and we do continue to sin, We don't like that about ourselves, but it's a truth about ourselves. We do and we will continue to sin until, of course, until the day we get to enjoy eternity with Jesus and with all the church, we will. And God gives us the wonderful right to remind ourselves that Jesus is right there at the right hand of God, serving as our defense lawyer. Serving as the visible, constant reminder that all of our sins were paid for. All of them. Jesus speaks in our defense all the time.
1: And because of those two truths associated with
0: Jesus seated at the right hand of God, that He's overseeing everything for our benefits and that He's always serving as our advocate, it allows us to say, just like it does in Second Timothy chapter four, I mean we can always confidently say, "The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom." Maybe
1: just say that to yourself once: "The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack." and will bring me safely to his eternal kingdom he will
0: that's a wonderful truth about Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father almighty and of course we're not quite done yet another step of Jesus exaltation on the on the steps back up uh go back for one moment to that section in John chapter 14 when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them a very special place for them that they could never prepare for themselves and a place for us that we could never prepare for ourselves. He also added the nugget that I'm going to come back after, after I prepare the place for you. And after it's just perfect and just right, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be there and be there with me so that you get, so you get to enjoy it. And that's the, that's the last step of Jesus' exaltation, which has not the only one that has not yet happened or isn't currently happening, that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus talked about that multiple times in his ministry. One of the places is in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus said, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So he's talking about judgment day. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another. Some will go one way to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. Now that serves as a very important reminder that this is serious business.
1: It wasn't a small thing that Jesus did. It is the existence of our souls and there's there are real consequences for sin. Some will go to eternity with Jesus, and some will go to the opposite. Some will go to hell. And that's where they will be for eternity. Jesus will judge the living and the dead.
0: Those who had already died and those who are currently living when he comes back and and judged on what?
1: On one thing. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul told the jailer who was
0: guarding him, he said, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved.
1: The difference between those who go to heaven and those who go to hell, we've talked about it already in previous videos, is it's belief in Jesus.
0: It's not how much money you have. It's not how many friends you have. It's not how much popularity or fame you get. It's not how healthy you are. It's none of those things. Simply believing in Jesus, which means that you can have
1: no friends. You can be the least popular person. You can have no money at all. You can have no fame, no health, and still end up with everything. Everything because of Jesus. And you will receive that everything in the day that he returns.
0: And and when is that gonna happen? Well, thankfully Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 24. He says, keep watch because you don't know <laughs> on what day the Lord will come. He says, understand this. He says, someone whose house is broken into by a thief, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have he would have kept watch and he would not have let his house be broken into. Um, he says, so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Uh, we don't we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly when it's going to happen. It just tells us just like just like you have security systems for your house and you lock the doors at night and lock the windows so that a thief can't break in. Or so a thief so that you're ready when the thief tries to break in. Just always be ready for Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on him. Knowing like it says in scripture that one day
1: we will be with the Lord forever. And what kind of Lord? The Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried, who descended into hell, rose from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty
0: and who will one day come again to judge the living and the dead as the Son of God,
1: our Savior, who is victorious for us so that he can spend eternity being victorious with us.